hello everyone and welcome to the faith journeys podcast my name is brad i am your host this is a podcast dedicated to exploring different people's journeys of faith i believe each and every one of us is on a journey of faith regardless of religion or creed and i believe that faith goes deeper than just attending a religious worship service on a sunday but that faith guides and leads our lives through the best of times and through the worst of times and it is my hope that through this podcast we can see that each of us has a journey to take and that along that journey we are never alone i want to welcome my guest today Jarvis Guthrie. I have been waiting for this interview. I have been excited about this interview for a while now. Uh, Jarvis is the CEO of Saved by Grace Ministries. Uh, Saved by Grace Ministries was founded while Jarvis was incarcerated from 2012 to 2014. After his transition from prison, he became an ordained minister at Murray Hill Christ Community Church in 2015. He graduated college at Florida State College of Jacksonville in 2019 with a bachelor's degree, get this, cum laude, supervision and management. He faithfully serves his community and volunteers with Prison Fellowship at Lottie Correctional Facility. His dedication is to help men transition from prison into the kingdom, and he is in the process of opening a re-entry program on a 60-acre farm in Palatka. He loves soul food, love it. Jimi Hendrix, love it. And fishing. We are going to have to go fishing together sometime really soon because I love it as well. So Jarvis, welcome to Faith Journeys. Hey, Pastor. Thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, I'm just so honored and humbled to be able to uh, present the gospel and to allow people to know what my faith journey is and what God is doing in and through my life. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks uh, for being on um, our show. Um, so Jarvis, um, tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, from Let's start with the, how you became incarcerated in the first place. Can you tell us a little bit about that story first? Um, yes, sir. Um, I grew up with a great family. Um, my father was a military veteran. He did 20 years in the Navy. And when he retired, he uh, went to driving trucks. And my mom um, is Scottish. I was actually born in Scotland and came to America um, when I was one years old. And I'm um, growing up, had a great childhood. I had two older brothers and I was in the sports. I played football, basketball and track. And uh, my dad provided everything for his family. I'm very thankful for the things that uh, my parents did for me and what they put in me. But one of the things that I lacked was actual guidance when I became a young man and I began to hit puberty. And once I knew I was really good at football, that's when pride flared up. And that's when I became very um, vicious as a human being, uh -huh. um, the, way I, the way I treated people. Um, I was very selfish. And um, having that with liquor i was i was doomed for hell man you know yeah. so i had a lot of um colleges looking at me to play football i'm six foot three i'm running four or five i have great grades Ooh. but i lacked it character you know i lacked it selfless i acted 
I, I missed a relationship with God. Right. So um, that was my buildup. And I thought I had my whole life figured out. Um, Pastor, I was going to go to the military. I had my son when I was 16. He was born when I was 17. Mm-hmm. I graduated high school early to be able to join um, the military. So I enrolled into college. I was leaving as an E3, um, as a computer specialist. Uh-huh. Um, I'm engaged to my fiance and I'm going to um, you know, follow the steps of my father. Um, they were to sit me to um, boot camp in Georgia. And then after that, I would have went to South Korea and um, I enlisted uh, December of 2011. And here comes January of 2012. I'm at a party with my friends. We're drinking. Um, during that time, I'm smoking K2. Um, and K2 was like synthetic weed. Um, yeah. A lot of people in the military were smoking that because it, you could pass a, a drug test. Uh, so, so that night we're, we're smoking, we're drinking, we're having a good time. I'm with my friends, my buddies, you know, people are going to the military, people are going to college. Um, there was about five to 10 of us that were really close that did everything together. Mm-hmm. And um, that night I was so drunk. Um, I was too drunk, too drunk to drive. Um, they took my keys. Um, some of the people were able to leave the party because they were not as drunk as me. And when everybody went back into the house, I stayed outside for some for some reason. And instead of going back to the house, the house party, I actually ended up four houses across the street. So I'm banging this door at like two o'clock in the morning. I'm calling my friends. They're not picking up. So I kicked down the door to the house and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'll just fix it in the morning. I need to, I need to lay down, man. I'm drunk. I'm about to throw up. I need, I need to sit down. I'm not going to sleep outside or in my car. So I broke down the door and I remember that noise like it was last night. I get into the house and there's an individual with a gun pointed in my face. I put my hands up wow. and said, I'm sorry. And that's the last thing I remember saying. I wake up in the emergency room and my eye is swollen. There's whelps over my head. I'm handcuffed to the bed. And the deputy in the room says, boy, you are lucky to be alive. You just broke into a cop's house. And I thought this was a dream or something. I'm like, why would I, why, why would I break into a cop's house? I have my whole life ahead. I've never been in trouble before. You know, I'm a good person. I have these good grades. You know, I have a bright future. I'm not a troublemaker. Um, I was not there to uh, steal from him, to to do anything towards this individual. I was simply drunk and had no idea I was at the wrong house. Wow. Wow. And that's what led to your incarceration. Yes, sir. So I was in county jail for 13 days and oh my God, that was not the life I wanted to live. I said, Lord, get me out of here. Yeah. I'm here for all the days of my life. And I was seeing that people were getting offered two to five years and they were turning it down and taking them to trial, losing the trial and coming back with 25 years, 30 years. So I was able to see I'm not taking my case to trial. So my dad bonded me out. 
I was able to still get enrolled into college. I was in four classes. I was working. And I'm thinking that, you know what? This was a mistake. I have my, my high school, um, my army recruiter. These people are speaking, you know, good things on my behalf. Clearly, the judge in the courts will see that this was a mistake. So I fought my case for eight months. And um, it was August 30th of 2012. I went to court and it was pre-sentencing. I dressed up in my, my best suit. I had my family with me. And I just knew that this judge was going to still allow me to go into the military. And the judge said, Jarvis, I think you're a good young man. I think you have a bright future, but you have to take responsibility and be accountable for what you did on the night of January 21st of 2012. I sentenced you to two years in the Department of Corrections and three years of house arrest. And everybody was crying. I was crying. My family was crying. The plaintiff came and handcuffed me, took me to the courts. And I remember waiting inside of a cell and just trying to comprehend of everything that took place in my life, you know, from getting arrested, let my family down, you know, put myself in this position. And I had to praise God for those two years that he sentenced me to because it could have been worse. I could have been dead. You know, my family could have been going to my funeral instead of my sentencing date. My family could have been having me on the t-shirt. You know, I had a, a, a five month old son, you know, and it just, everything just came to play. I said, Lord, I want a better life. So that's when um, I was sentenced to two years in prison. And I remember, I remember my first day um, in prison. Um, now it took, it took a few months from going to jail to being transported to prison. I was waiting on an open bed. Yeah. And um, one of the good things that the judge did for me, he sentenced me to a YL sentence, which means youth offender. So I was sentenced to a prison with young men, 18 to 24 years old. And I remember my first day in prison, they stripped my clothes. They made me squat, open my butt cheeks. And it was just yeah. so, it was so degraded. I'm like, oh my God, this, this, this is real now, you know? Humiliating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I remember that I, you know, I, I was checked into a mental health hospital um, at one point in my life here recently, and it was the same thing. And I, it's, it's a humiliating place to be. (laughs) Um, And when they have you stripped down and check every crevice that you could possibly have on your body. you know, I remember me thinking, this is what this has come to. Uh, And that was just me dealing with mental health issues. This isn't anything with what you're dealing with um, and what you had to deal with. So, yeah. So, so let me get this straight. Um, You are an outstanding citizen you were in the military. You had no prior anything whatsoever. Um, and you had army recruiters come and speak on your behalf. This is a first offense. It was obviously a mis- drunken mistake. You broke into this guy's house. 
and you still got two years in prison and three years of house arrest. Yes, sir. That's correct. So that doesn't seem right to me. (laughs) And here I hear you go, I'm thankful for, for what I got. Um, How, how do you, how do you get to that point? Um, How do you not have this retribution and anger? Because to me, that does not seem like a fair sentencing when compared to what the actual offense was. Well, I was able to identify that I I only had two years in prison. So I was going to use my prison experience like a college experience. And between my sentencing date to the few months I was in jail, that's when my hunger and appetite started to to change um, for God. And I began to be able to see him clearly. And I began to really start reading my Bible and um, everything changed for me. So I, I was hooked, you know, on, on the gospel and being able to see how really blessed I was, you know, when in prison, they take everything from you. And yeah. very quickly, I was able to identify the value of life. You know, you sometimes you can look at others' lives and really see how blessed you are. And I began to grow passion for my brothers incarcerated because we all had a common story. We made a mistake, you know? And once you become labeled as a violent criminal, as a violent offender, that you're doomed to the communities, I says, no, I want to be able to make a difference for my brothers. So while I was incarcerated, my first six months, it was dark, it was depression, it was suicide thoughts but a prison volunteer came into the prison and his first sermon was on John chapter 15, the true vine. And he also spoke on the scripture as a man thinks in his heart, so he becomes. And right then my whole life was able to be renewed into the kingdom. And now 10 years later, I'm still under my pastor's wing and he's actually a police officer. He would come into the prisons every Sunday and preach the word of God. And I remember um, my time leading to being released. I said, Pastor, you know, where are you from? I'm going back to Jacksonville. He says, son, I I live in Jacksonville too. So my first day out of prison was April 2nd of 2014. It was a Wednesday night. I went to this man's church and testified of all the good things that God had (laughs) in my life. So I got my purpose in prison. I got my passion. I got my calling. I am a a preacher and one day I'm going to be a pastor and I'm just so thankful for that experience while I was in it and looking back because sometimes we think we have our life figured out, but only God knows the best direction that he needs to put us in. So I was able just to identify very quickly that, you know what, if I'm not going to the military or I'm not going to college, that means God has something greater for me. That, that is amazing. That, that is a prime example of, you know, when you are going through your worst moments, that there's a, always a lesson in it if we're always willing to look for it. Um, 
it's it's changing that mindset of the way that we look at how bad things happen to us and and you did that um and how how were you able to 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 overcome that how were you able to overcome not staying in that dark place and being a resentful person to where you are today what what would, what did that process look like for you um first it was it was very challenging um each of my cellmates were either poor um had no family had no support and for me going to being a selfish person to a selfless person so uh-huh. being in a cell with a individual for 23 hours a day if you don't love that person or if you don't um, try to um, be on good terms with that person, yeah. your time in prison is going to be very, very tough. Absolutely. So God, God began to, you know, break up my, my fellow grounds in my heart. He began to plow. You know, once I was able to see that these men needed love, you know, God gave me love, you know. So my mom, she sent me $20 a week. And that might not sound like a lot of money, but if you have $20 in prison, you're rich. Trust me, you're mm. able to um, buy a lot of soups, 48 soups, three bags of coffee, two honey buns, a bag of tuna, some peanut butter. So <laughs> He's got it down. <laughs> Listen exactly. to it. Yeah. Yes. yes. So I was able to give, you know, $2 to, to my roommates. And we began to use, you know, the food that my mom um, you know, would send me. We would just combine everything, like all of our meals and, and lunch and dinners and, and make bigger dinners and 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 sit down and and talk with one another you know first it was very hard but the more you give the better it becomes right absolutely absolutely and now you um help men transition out of prison uh, through this ministry um tell us a little bit about your work with uh, the saved by grace ministries and what what y'all do Yes, sir. So uh, when I was incarcerated, I had a, a good friend by the name of Thomas Martin. He was a gospel rapper. And one day he said, SSBG. And that thing just hit my heart and my spirit. I'm like, man, what is SSBG? He says, man, we're sinners saved by grace. I said, sinners saved by grace. And once I spoke it, I owned it. So we did Bible studies in um, in prison. Um, we were called, um, you know, SSBG. And when I got out of incarceration, being able to see my fellow brothers violate their probation and go back to prison. I began to work for reentry programs um, because I was glued to finding out how can I help these men. So when I got out of prison, my first year, my mom died. My third year, Mm. my older brother, he has a mental illness and now he's in the mental institution. Mm. My fifth year, my dad died. So this purpose and this dream has been tested. It has been purified. It has been chastised. And in 2019, after my dad died, that's when I finally was able to incorporate Save Our Grace Ministries as a, as a 513C, as a nonprofit. And it took almost eight years for God to open that door because he was preparing me with life experiences to go back into the prisons and to deposit, you know, treasure to deposit the gospel 
into the lives of men. So now going back as a volunteer, it's like going to a, a movie premiere. I got my popcorn, I got my nachos, I got my cheese, my family. It's <laughs> like watching God's glory each and every day because we see breakthrough, we see mercy, we right. see forgiveness, we see men growing in Christ, unlike mm -hmm. some churches outside of here today. You know, there's a lot of bubblegum, cotton candy preaching going on, you know, where we're out of the sky like, by and by. Yeah. <laughs> by, by, where we're only like throwing salt on people. But when you go into the, these prisons, see, when I first started, I thought I was going to change their life. But boy, was I wrong. These men are changing my life. And having this relationship, this coordinated fellowship is the greatest fulfillment in my life. I'm in currently three or four adult prisons and several juvenile prisons. Wow. So at my church, we have Kairos uh, prison ministry with, with our men's group uh, where they go in for a weekend um, and spend some time. Uh, they call them the, the guys in white. Uh, and, um, and it's really taken off. And I was, I was privy to be able to go and to um, actually watch um, one of their closing uh, worship ceremonies. And it was, the, the, the testimonies were absolutely amazing. I'll never forget this one guy. He got up and um, he, he just got up and he said, you know, I was doubtful about all of this, you know, this Jesus talk and this and, and what these guys are come, coming here. But let me tell you, he, and he just flat out, he was just like, this shit is for real. And it has a hold on me and it will not let go. And I was just like, oh my goodness. What, what is the value of those ministries? What do they bring to uh, people who are incarcerated? Um, you obviously were a product of one and now are a part of another what have you seen through these programs and what they bring to these folks that are incarcerated? Um, before I answer that question, I'd like to say about eight months ago, a gentleman left a voicemail on my cell phone when I was at work. He uh -huh. said, hey, Jarvis, I hear what you're doing. I would love to support your ministry. And I thought it was a joke. So I'm speaking on the phone with this gentleman He's from Texas, and he's a part of Cairo's ministry, and he's my biggest financial supporter because when my dad died, I inherited a little money, and I started the farm with the land clearing, and then I ran out of money. Like, oh, my God, you know, I missed – I never knew cutting trees was so expensive. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so Cairo's ministry – um, and that gentleman, he, he likes to be unknown and undisclosed. He's been planting seeds in my life for the past probably eight months. And he's been able to give me that encouragement. Like he was, it's not about the financial support. It's the seeds of hope that he placed in my life. Jarvis, I believe in you. Being able to get the survey done, being able to get this land clearing done. And now to see that we're almost ready to start building um, our facility is just so amazing. So I would definitely, um, it's just so, so God, 
but the people that actually go into the prisons is priceless. There's not really a word to describe it. You got to have the heart to go into these prisons because mm -hmm. when you love somebody, when they're at their lowest point, their darkest time, it is just so, it's just so God, you know, it's just right. um, the best thing ever because we are changing generations, you know, we are changing eternity. We are changing the landscape of people's lives because when you have somebody loving you unconditionally, bringing you hope and just having a relationship um, with that person, it changes the world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 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 He's not from Houston, is he? Um, no, not Houston. Okay. <laughs> Cause I know a guy Kyra's prison ministry who would do exactly what this guy is doing. <laughs> That's why I'm like, uh, he's not from Houston. Is he? <laughs> he might be man. I'm, I don't know to, to be honest. Um, wow. Yeah. But he has a, a great heart. Uh, we talk all the time. He really helps, you know, guide me, you know, yeah. from you know it's just so amazing um so i can't you gotta have to those people it. you gotta have those people in your life you really do because the people who's incarcerated and once they are actually um freed from their chains physically and, and spiritually man we're game changers here in this world man you know i see it with my own eyes so in the prison population um 70 of the men have violent charges okay mm. And 30% of the men have nonviolent charges. All right. So employers, they'll help people that's been incarcerated only if you have a nonviolent offense. So 95% of men are coming home from prison. People are not helping that 70%, those non, I mean, those violent charges. Yeah. So we as taxpayers are paying almost $40,000 a year to incarcerate an individual. And because they're not getting rehabilitation while they're incarcerated, when they get out, they have no housing, they have no education, they have no assistance, they have no employment, they're going back to prison. Um, the prison system is a $80 billion, um, that's minimum, $80 billion uh, business a year. You know, families are spending about $3 billion to send commissary and phone calls, you know, and our unemployment rate is 27% is greater than the Great Depression. So this is a cycle. This is a revolving door that's nonstop because there's so much profit to be made off of crime and punishment. So we need better people inside of these prisons to really make a difference because once you have the support system, once you have the foundation, you're able to grow, you know, and we see here in this in this world that um, this is not this is not doable because there's so much money. So when I work with the juvenile offenders, it's about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to incarcerate a juvenile offender. You know, it's wow. a lot of money for these wow. juveniles. So yeah. we're, we're taxpayers. This is not a Republican issue. This is not a Democrat issue. This is a humanity issue. Amen. You know, absolutely. This is, this is humanity, you know, um, and just being able to see the issues that, you know, the prison system causes not only on individuals like myself, 
but the families, you know, one in three people have been incarcerated. That's a third of our population. You know, there's over a, a hundred um, occupations and licenses that we can't give. Some states don't allow us to vote. So we have all these factors and barriers when we leave prison, you know? So how do you expect somebody to be successful when there's so much odds stacked up against us, you know? So for everybody here today that helps with prison ministry, that helps with reentry programs, that's hired ex-offenders, I love you guys. Thank you for making the world a better place because there's no difference between a sinner and the felon. All have fallen short. What if you were judged by your worst mistake and everybody knew about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and as your, as a word in your ministry talks about, you know, I define grace as unconditional, undeserved love, right? Um, it's the unconditional, undeserved love of God for sinners, but the power to transform lives, right? A love that comes to us unconditionally, and even though we don't deserve it, and a love like that has the power to transform people's lives. And um, we need more of that uh, rather than conditional love. Um, I'll love you, but I'll forgive you, but, um, you know, and um, you. The Good Samaritan, you know, those religious leaders that that Levi, you just walk past us, but it's people like yourself, like everybody who's involved in this stuff is like, wow, look at the transformation. It's, It's so priceless, you know, because I can humbly see the effects that God has on my life with other people because of my incarceration. I would not be where I'm at today if I wasn't incarcerated, you know? Right. So I go back to the prisons to make the same impact that others have impacted in my life. You know, I'm a broken vessel. I'm filthy and I'm foul, but I have heavenly treasure that I want to give to men because I have not been able to get here if it wasn't for help from people putting me on their podcast from people believing in me when I didn't believe in myself, you know? So mm-hmm. going from having a, a violent charge in 2012 and 2019 graduating with my bachelor's, you know, when you have mentorship, when you have guidance, you never know that person's gift, that person's talent, and what God's going to do through them, you know? So being able to help discover, number one, their identity in Christ, that's so important, who you are in Christ and who God is to you, you know, then you get the gift once you're led out of captivity. So it's definitely is a process um, to get people to that point, but it's our job to plant a seed and other people's job to water the seed It's God's job to get the increase. So yeah. we have to remind ourselves daily that, you know what, I'm a farmer, I'm a preacher, I'm here planting a seed. It's not my job to make the change that's between you and God that's you know between you and God so um that's kind of where I'm at now and um this year um our goal is by December to have our transitional house up and up and going uh we are going to house six men for a year for free where they're going to be able to use the farm to get the discipleship to do activities because throughout the whole bible is agricultural you know absolutely being able to, you know, show people this is what the word of God says, and this is where it's at now, you know, so I have so much illustrations and so much in me 
um, that God has placed in me from from land clearing. I'm just so excited to be able to 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 demonstrate that. You know, we all learn different. You know, people sometimes can't comprehend you know, the Bible, and it takes, you know, preachers and pastors to be able to, one, listen from God, speak the truth, and help people understand with love. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I I grew up on a farm, and I remember my grandma saying, hey, we can't make the seed grow. That's God's job, right? As farmers, it's our job to make sure that the soil, that the seed has every opportunity to to, to grow. So our job is the soil tenders, right? Make sure it has the right nutrients, make sure it's got the proper watering. And, um, I, I tell that to my congregation all the time, man. Wow. I, I wow. said, you know, our job is not to, to, to make, to make people grow in their love of Christ. Our, our job is to create a place where people can come to where they can drop their, their barriers to allow Amen. God to work in their lives. Yeah. I, so the, the church is the soil. The church is the field, right? Amen. And, Amen. and we're just called to be the farmers. Amen. So it's with, not, um, it's not so that with, hard. Um, it's not that hard. <laughs> no, it's not. You know, and, and, and Hosea talks about we have to break up that fall of ground. You know, that, that's our heart. Right. You know, people sometimes tend to hold on to their old life, you know, and once you lose your life to save your life and God begins to purify that heart, it is just so amazing to meet, you know, believers in the body, you know? Um, so I love being a Christian. Um, sometimes, you know, my wife and my, my friends say, Jarvis, you preach too much, but man, yeah. all I know, you know, we can see the God and good in it and everything, you know, that's our, that's our skill, you know? Absolutely. So sometimes I'll just say something without, um, where the scriptures at so they don't think I'm preaching to them. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I have certainly learned a lot today. Um, I think one of the things that sticks out for me is, is that this is something that affects us all. Um, uh, yeah. You know, and financially as a country, financially as taxpayers, um, the system is broken. Um, it does need an overhaul. We've got to get the monies out of the prisons. Um, and we need to pay attention to um, making sure that men and women get the support and the mentorship that they need while they're in there so that they can come out and live um, prosperous lives. Because let's face it, when they come out, they have served their time. And you know what? that is done with and it's time for us as a society to allow them now to put the pieces back um, so that they can actually build a life and now be if the point is to be a contributing member of society then stop putting up walls that allow them to not be a contributing member to society <laughs> there you go so I'll leave you with this. Um, Save Our Grace Ministries, we have a three-pillar model. Um, we spend a year in each facility with the men to make relationships with them. And the name of our farm is Nazareth's Farm. Can any good thing come from prison? Can um, any so good thing care. come from Nazareth? I love it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So the men will be living on our farm um, for a year um, for free. And then we're going to open something called Second Chance Logistics, where we're going to have box trucks and carrier vans. 
and we're going to actually employ um, our residents because we want to help with the 70% that has violent charges. So we want to be, you know, a city yeah. that sits on the hill that shines light. We want to be a pillar model to not only the community, but being able to replicate in different states because nothing is new under the sun. So when people are able to examine, you know, the three years that not only Jesus walked with his disciples, but three years that the men have in this program, they'll be able to see that this should be in every farm, you know, so we'll be able Absolutely. to get partners in Georgia, Tennessee, and the Carolinas. So our men that's being released from prison and our men who's actually using our box trucks are able to have always a place to go. You know, healing is the critical component for an individual leaving prison. That's why a therapeutic is so important. It's the middle piece um, in, our, in our model. We don't want you working. We don't want you stressing. We're gonna create CSAs, farmers markets, and have relationships with um, with restaurants. So the money that we make is going to you. We're not taking advantage of you. Instead of paying us $600 a month, no, we have a partnership with a bank that you're gonna put $600 in a month and you're gonna pay yourself. So once you leave the program, you'll have X amount of dollars, you learn this, you're able to you know, purchase a trade, take your family to Disney, buy a house, whatever you wanna do with your money. I'm not here to make any profits off of you because when you are a, a population that's hindrance like us, people will take advantage of us. They'll, yeah. buy, a, they'll, they'll buy a four bedroom house, stick three men in each room, and make between seventy to hundred thousand dollars off of us because we can't find nowhere to stay. Jeez. No, we're going to buy more houses and do more free transitional housing. You know, this this farm is going to be able to be self sufficient, like the Garden of Eden. Adam was the first farmer. Use the money to help the people. That's the awesome. Money, the farm is for the people. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jarvis, if people want to support uh, your ministry and learn more about it, um, where can they go? Um, they can go to savebygraceministries.net. Um, they can give me a phone call at 904-236-7081. I love to talk. Um, or you can text me or you can email me at savedbygraceministries@net outlook.com fantastic fantastic and we will put those links in our podcast notes as well for everyone all right well jarvis at the end of every uh podcast we have the final four these are four random questions that i draw from a stack of cards and uh, our guests are limited to one word or one sentence answers now i know as a pastor i know how hard this can be so um that's the most intimidating part so but are you ready yes okay yes, all right here we go um question number one um question number one is the thing i admire the most about jesus is i'll say joy the joy that he gives joy awesome 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 
Um, here's question number two. Question number two is if you could travel or take a vacation with anyone you choose, who would it be? I would choose my pastor um, because he met me when I was incarcerated. Awesome. How are you most like your mom or your dad? Hmm. I'm my dad's twin. Um, my dad was the motivational speaker in the Navy. And my mom, um, she actually used to raise kids in her house. So that's when I, I finally learned how to give. She was always taking care of kids. And God just put my mom and dad together and made me. So I'm a preacher, motivational speaker, and I love helping people. And then finally, what makes a conversation great? To give value to one another. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jarvis, thanks so much again uh, for being with us here on Faith Journeys. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I, I know I'm definitely I'm I'm down to coming and seeing what you do in person one of these days, if you'll have me uh, for sure, um, because that this is just amazing stuff. So um, thank you for being on our program and thank you for listening and tuning in today. Um, again, um, we are now taking any and all subscribers so we have a free opening for subscribers to our podcast so wherever you're listening to faith journeys go down and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and if you can i would be honored if you would leave a review for us it just helps uh people find the podcast easier so until next time everyone have a safe and spiritual journey we will see you on the next journey take care bye-bye